Last week we looked at the key sentence in the book of Colossians, the sentence that summarizes the whole book, and we saw it was Colossians 2, 6 and 7. Here's what it says. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. God wants us to walk in Christ. He wants us to live our lives like Christ. Last week we also saw that there were false paths that God doesn't want us to take. Because God wants us to grow in Christ, but he doesn't want us to grow away from Christ. And we saw there were false teachers who were trying to entice the Colossians away from Christ by by adding other things to faith in him. Uh, Christ is good, but if you want to be really godly or, or really spiritual or really guaranteed of salvation, then you need this other thing as well. And Paul had to deal with false teaching. Warn people against it. And we saw examples of this last week. People were talking to the Colossians about something called fullness. Uh, knowing Christ is not enough, you need something else to make you full. This we can offer you. And Paul says, no, you have fullness in Christ. And in Christ, Christ has all the fullness himself. And so in verses uh, 9 and 10 of chapter 2, For in Christ, in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Or people were talking about circumcision. Christ is not enough, you need this rite of circumcision. And Paul says, no. Uh, the circumcision, the true circumcision, the thing that circumcision was pointing to, occurred at the cross when Christ died. When his whole body was cut off, not just his foreskin. And if you are in Christ, you are united with him in his death and his resurrection, and the true circumcision is yours already. Verse 11, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. People were talking about rulers and authorities, spiritual forces to deal with, and Paul says Christ conquered them all on the cross. By dealing with our sin, he, he dealt with everything they had on us. So we don't need to worry about them anymore. Second half of verse 13, God made us alive with him, having forgiven us our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And then people were talking about having to keep special days and special seasons or, or special rules about what you can eat and what you can't eat, what you can touch and what you can't touch so you can be really spiritual. And Paul says, no, that's all covenant stuff. It's been fulfilled in Christ, verse 16 and 17. Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are shadows of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Or people were talking about asceticism. That is trying to, to show humility and, and, and piety by self-denial. And somehow that was linked to, to worshipping angels which they'd seen in visions who could somehow be mediators to get you closer to God. Though really they were figments of their own imagination. And verse 18 and 19. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels going on in details about visions puffed up without reasons by his sensuous mind not holding fast to the head from which the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth from God. You see, Paul is saying no. If you receive Christ as Lord, you walk in Him. Be rooted and built up in Him. 
grow in him, not away from him, be strengthened in the truth of his gospel, and be more and more overwhelmingly thankful for what God has given you in Christ. Walk in Christ. And so his conclusion, as he surveyed all the wrong teaching that was being given to the Colossians, was this, in verse 20 to 23. If with Christ you die to the elemental spirits of the universe, why, as if you were still alive to the world, do you submit to the regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teaching. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So he's saying, look, when Christ died on the cross, if you are in Christ, if you trust him as your saviour and submit to him as your Lord, then you died with him spiritually, there. You're no longer to fear the spiritual powers of any demons or, or powers or, or spirits in the world. You're not under them anymore. You don't have to do what they say. And you don't have to obey the rules made by men who are influenced by them. Saying you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't touch this, you can't touch that. Or you have to fast this much and practice this much discipline. Or you've got to have your house facing a certain way or, or whatever it is. It all seems so religious, so disciplined and ordered, but actually it is of no value. Because the real issues have nothing to do with these things. Not to do with food or what you can't touch or what. The real issues are to do with attitudes and behavior. And the one thing doesn't help the other. It's true, isn't it? We all know people who would be horrified and appalled at the thought of eating particular meats, but would think nothing of taking a bribe. Paul says, stop mucking around with worthless things and deal with the real issues. Stop trying to get spiritual in a way that doesn't come from Christ. True godliness comes from being in Christ. It's not about what you eat or when you eat. It's about how you walk and why you walk that way. That is, how you live and why you live that way. How you relate to God and how you relate to other people. As you receive Christ as Lord, walk in Him. And that is what we're looking at today. How to walk in Christ, how to be really godly, as opposed to all these other things. Notice, though, that the starting point for true godliness, for true Christian living, for true spirituality, is receiving Christ the Lord. Right, that was in verse 6 of chapter 2. Or another way of putting it is to say, it is being united with him. Paul had reminded us earlier in the letter that, that we who belong to Christ have been spiritually united with Christ. He is our Lord, he is our head, we are his body. Our sins were considered his and paid for, for us on the cross. His righteousness, his goodness was considered ours, so that we can have a right standing with God. And this is the spiritual reality we see in, in verse 3 of chapter 3. He says, for you have died. See, when Jesus died, we died. Not only that, when he was raised, we were raised. And so verse 1 of chapter 3 says, you have been raised with Christ. We have been given a new spiritual life with him. 
We've been united with him in his death and resurrection. And spiritually we have been raised with him in heaven. We belong to him there. Verse 3 again. You have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That is our spiritual status if we are in Christ. Don't need to earn it by following man-made rules. Don't need to grasp it by extra experiences. Don't need to use angels or other mediators or beings to get there. If we belong to Christ, then that is ours already. We can't see it now. Physically we are here. But we don't belong to this world. We're not under the spiritual forces of this world. Our spiritual life is with Christ in God. And verse 3 says it is hidden. Later on we'll sing, my life is hid with Christ on high. That is, it is safe. No one can take it away, but it cannot be seen. One day we will see it. When Jesus returns, then who we are will truly be made plain. When Jesus returns, the whole universe will be changed. And the reality that is now hidden will become the glorious reality that is seen. And those who belong to the new reality will be evident as well. Now, given that spiritual reality, the Holy Spirit says here, we need to think differently. And therefore act differently. From the beginning of chapter 3 now. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hid with Christ in God. And when Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. If you belong, if you belong to Christ in heaven, then seek the things that are in heaven. If Christ is your Lord, then let your goals, your aims, your ambitions, your outlooks, your life reflect the things that he thinks are important. If you don't belong to this earth, don't... Spend your life chasing the things of this earth. Seek things of eternal benefit. Set your minds on things above. Set your minds on, on, on pleasing God and being the kind of person he wants you to be. And it's something we just set our minds on. It's not automatic. Just because we're spiritually with Christ in heaven doesn't mean we're automatically free from temptation on earth. We have an earthly part of us that wants to sin. We have an earthly part of us that doesn't want to submit to Christ and become like him. And the Holy Spirit, speaking through the Apostle Paul, tells us in no uncertain terms, we've got to keep on getting rid of it. Keep on saying no to it. In fact, it gives us a whole number of things to get rid of in two groups. The first group is a list of sexual sins. Verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you, too, once walked when you were living in them. Sexual immorality here is, is unlawful intercourse, that is, intercourse outside of marriage. Impurity is any kind of immoral sexual conduct. Passion there is lust, evil desires, strong lust for what's not right. Covetousness is wanting what belongs to somebody else. And it's idolatry because you're putting them above God who is right now telling you to break it off. Sex outside marriage is wrong. In actuality, 
and in fantasy, in body and in mind, in physical reality and in virtual reality. So if you're sleeping with someone who is not your husband or wife, then stop. If you're flirting or making out with someone who is not your husband or wife, then stop. If you're fantasizing about someone who is not your husband or wife, then stop. If you're doing things in chat rooms or in second life which you shouldn't do, stop. If you're looking at porn on the internet, stop. Put it to death. You belong to Christ. Set your minds on things above, not these things. These are the things that God is punishing the world for. How can you, his child, get involved in them? But it's not just the sex outside marriage stuff. There, there are other things that characterize the Colossians' way of life before they turn to Christ, which are just as important. And so the second list of things is about how they treated each other, relational sins. Here are some of the things in verse 8 onwards that they had to get rid of, and so do we. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. Ongoing anger and bitterness on the one hand and temper tantrums on the other, they are not acceptable among God's people. Malice and his troublemaking, spitefulness, better put it away. Slander, speaking wrongly in a bad way about God or other people, get rid of it. Seen talk, dirty language and abusive speech, that shouldn't be on our lips. And the other thing that shouldn't come, off, come on our lips is in verse 9. It is lying to one another. If we can't tell the truth, then just say nothing. Because friends, all those things from both those lists, they belong to the old life, the earthly life. The, it's a life that we've said no to. We have a new life in Christ. We have a new identity. Paul says in verse 9 that we have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self. And so we, let, we need to let our behavior reflect our new selves. Our new selves, we are people who belong to Christ. We are seated with Him. We have new life in Him. And we need to keep on remembering who we are, our new identity, so that we can live it out. And here there are two more things about our new person. Second half of verse 10. It says it's being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. That is... As we know God more and more, we are being changed more and more into how God wants us to be. God has given us a new identity. He has made us new people and he is wanting to change us. And the second thing is that it's for all of us. Verse 11. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. We don't have to be circumcised for this. We don't have a particular race for this. We don't have to be particularly educated for this. This is a special thing for special people. If we belong to Christ, then we have the new life. And we can live it. We can walk in Christ. And so Paul will now go to the positive list, list of virtues to cultivate. Things we are to do. But before that, once again, he wants us to have the right motivation for it. He wants us to see that we're not just talking about morality here. We're talking about response to the gospel. For the way we live, the new life, flows out 
from the way God has treated us in Christ. Look at how verse 12 begins. It says, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, and then what do we put on? The kind of things we do. That is, we are God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. That is our new identity. And when you think of it, it sounds like Christ, doesn't it? Christ is God's chosen one. He is holy, loved by the Father. We too are God's chosen ones. We are holy, set apart to belong to God and loved by Him. You see, God treats us like Jesus. And therefore He wants us to walk like Him, become like Him in our characters. Jesus is compassionate and kind to sinners like us. We are to practice being compassionate and kind to each other. Jesus is humble and meek. He's willing to take the lowest place in order to serve us. We are to put on humility and meekness. Jesus is patient with us, bearing with us, putting up with us in our weakness and sin. We are to bear with each other. Jesus forgave us, paid a terrible price in order to be able to do that. And we also ought to forgive each other. And so the Spirit says in verse 12 onwards, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. See, friends, we have a new identity, so we are to put on the new character. It's a deliberate thing, isn't it? It's we're to deliberately practice being like Christ. To intentionally and purposely decide to act in love, whether or not we feel like it. Now, sometimes people think, oh, that's is that, is that hypocritical. Friends, if both my feelings and my behavior are inconsistent with who I am, got to change them. Start somewhere. Change my behavior, let my feelings follow. Now don't get me wrong, they're all important. But don't say, oh, I won't act in love because I'm not feeling loving and therefore that will be hypocritical. No. Not to act in love would be hypocritical because it is inconsistent with who you are in Christ. You are beloved, you are holy, set apart from God, seated with Christ, belong to Him and with Him. It's better get one out of two right than none. Act in love and compassion and kindness, humility, patience, because you belong to Christ. And keep on practicing it over and over again. You'll get it wrong, practice, keep on getting it, practice, 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 until it becomes more and more who you are. Grow in that direction. Keep on saying, how can I become like Jesus in this situation? How would I respond if my character was more Christ-like than it is? And then do it. Say, we belong to God. We are seated with Christ. We've got to practice being godly. Practice being more consistent with who we are. And if we're living the kind of way that verses 12 to 14 talk about instead of verses 8 and 9 
And the kind of strife that we will see in many churches will, will cease. Verse 15, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. So we're called to peace in the body of Christ. Not called to fight and slander each other and attack each other, but to love and bear and forgive. And we need to let that peace rule in our hearts. It's not talking about decision making. It's talking about letting that peace which Christ wants us to have with each other determine how we act. There's a story about a guy, a church guy called Joe, old Joe, who was uh, dying. He had an old friend called Bill, uh, also from the same church. And uh, as he was dying, he decided he wanted to straighten things out with Bill because you know you don't want to die with things left un, un uh, unsettled. And so he calls him in and uh, says, you know, look, I know I've done you wrong all these years. You know, this is great. It's really hard for me, but you know. I'm sorry, and this is this, and then there's mutual forgiveness, and etc., etc. And then as Bill's leaving, he goes, But remember, if I get better, this doesn't count. <laughs> right? Don't be like that, eh? Right. Don't wait till we die. Let the peace of Christ rule. And the final characteristic we're called upon to nurture here is thankfulness. Verse 15 ends, And be thankful. Be thankful. Remember, that's what we learned about last week as well, didn't we? It keeps on coming back to that. Uh, Paul says in verse 6 of chapter 2, As you receive Christ, walk in him, and the end of verse 7, abounding in thanksgiving. So the great motivation for godly living is thanksgiving. The word being thankful there is not just referring to feeling thankful or grateful. Those are important. But it's talking about expressing it in thanksgiving means being a people who are characterized by thanksgiving. We keep on conveying thanksgiving to God. As we pray, let's keep remembering we thank God. As we sing, let's keep on remembering, as we sing, keep on remembering who God is and what he's done for us, and we sing thankfully. As we speak and we teach each other, let's keep on telling each other what God has done that we can be thankful for. As we saw last week, we're first and foremost thankful for the wonderful salvation he's given us in Christ. And then all the good things he's given us in him. As we understand God's word more and more, we should be more and more thankful to him. And therefore expressing this thanksgiving more and more. And we see that in verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. You see, it starts with the word of Christ dwelling in you richly. It starts with the gospel. Be about the gospel in the congregation. Be gospel-centered. And as the word of Christ dwells in us richly, you'll be teaching each other in all wisdom, helping each other to understand the gospel more and more. And as we admonish each other, that is, we, we warn each other, we exhort each other, we urge each other to do what the first half of this chapter says in getting rid of the old life and putting on the new, The word of Christ enables us to do that. And part of how we do that, part of how we teach each other, is in singing. Word of, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. 
And so we teach each other in song, and we sing together, and we do so with thanksgiving to God. And so our singing together springs from the gospel, from the word of Christ dwelling among us richly. Singing teaches each other. So there's a, 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 each other component to it. And it expresses gratitude and thanksgiving to God it's, as well. So it's from God to us, us to each other, and us to God. All three dimensions are important. And all three dimensions must be present in our singing. God speaks to us in the word of Christ, the gospel. We speak to each other and teach each other. And we speak to him saying thank you. It's three-dimensional singing. But it's not just in singing that we're giving thanks. It's not just when we're together. Because verse 17 says, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Thanksgiving is a hall of life thing. Whatever we do, we're to do it in the name of the Lord Jesus as an act of thanksgiving to God. Now what that doesn't mean is that everything we do has to be what people call religious. That is, we only, as if we're only serving God when we're in church or when we're reading the Bible or, or evangelizing. Or, no, 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 no. In every part of life, Whatever we do, whether it's in church or it's in the world, we are to do it in the name of Jesus. Because, because Jesus is the Lord of the whole creation. We saw that back in chapter 1. Everything belongs to him. This is his world. And so whatever we're doing in the world, we are to do it for him. And we're to do it in thankfulness to God, the Father who saved us through him. And so we thank God in so many ways, don't we? In our singing and in our living. Friends, if there's something that you do that you can't do in the name of the Lord Jesus, that you can't say to Jesus, Lord, I'm doing this for you. If you can't thank God by the way you're doing it, then maybe you shouldn't do it. See, you can't steal in the name of the Lord Jesus, can you? You can't cheat others as a way of saying thank you to God. You can't give bribes or tell lies. So if you can't do it for Jesus, then you can't do it. We show thankfulness to God with all of our lives. It starts at home in our families. Verse 18 to 21. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. Do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. See, what we do at home, how we relate to our spouses, our parents, our children, they are meant to be the ways that we say thank you to God. We are to do it the way God teaches us here from the heart. In the name of Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Similarly at work, we work for Jesus. Well, that's easy to remember when you're doing church work. The hours you spend doing ministry in the youth group or in your cell group or doing logistics, you know you're serving Jesus. But, but working for Jesus is not just in ministry. Look at verse 22. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Now most of us here aren't slaves, but we can imply that as employees, can't we? If we're employees, we're not there to pretend to work. We're there to actually work sincerely for the Lord. So, so don't just work when the boss is around and then spend the rest of the time on Facebook. Huh? Work properly. Verse 23 and 24. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, 
knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. You're not working for your company or your CEO or your shareholders. You're, you're working for Jesus. He's the boss and he'll reward you. Now, of course, since you're not a slave, you don't have to stay in your present job. Right? If your job makes you work too many long hours than you're paid for, then you might find that you want to leave. Though, depending, you might find if you actually work really hard in the time you're there, you don't have to stay back so often. And you see, if you're there to serve Jesus, and he knows how hard you work, you may not need to stay back after hours just so the boss knows that you're hardworking. If you do have to work ridiculous hours, or call upon to do things that aren't right, or the work environment's unhelpful to you as a Christian, you can work, because you can move, because you're not, you're not a slave. And as long as you're in your job, you'll do it honestly, and you'll do it hard, because you're serving Jesus. If you're an employer, or if you have people working under you in your company or your organization, then, then what Paul says to masters applies to you. Also applies if you've got a maid. Eh? Chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you have a master in heaven. Don't victimize people. Don't mistreat them. Don't be unfair in your expectations of them. Treat them properly. Because you've got a master in heaven. You're accountable to him for how you treat them. So whether you're an employee or an employer, whether you, you serve God in the way you treat the other party. And in the end, God will judge your actions. Verse 25 applies both to masters and slaves, I think. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he's done. There is no partiality. Finally, as people who belong to heaven, we're going to be passionate about the gospel going out. Part of our new goals and ambitions will be to see Jesus proclaimed in all the world. And that's what Paul tells us in verse 2 to 4 of chapter, uh, chapter 4. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God will open a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders. Make the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so you will know how to answer each person. Now, we'll look at this in more detail when we come back to Colossians in a couple of weeks, but it involves prayer, it involves partnership with others in the gospel, it involves how we live our lives in front of unbelievers, and it involves how we speak. We'll come back to it. Let's go back in conclusion and briefly review uh, what we've learned from, from our passage today. We have received Christ Jesus the Lord. He is our Savior who died for us on the cross. He is our King who rules our life. And because of what God has done for us in Him, and because of our new spiritual position in Him, because of our new life in Him, we need to live the new lifestyle. It's not about religiosity, about food and drinks and ceremonies and festivals and Sabbaths and angels. It's not about adding to Jesus something that would lead us away from Him. It's about living a life for him. It's about living a life that obeys his word and, and imitates his character. It's about putting to death the old way of living, of sexual impurity and relational impurity. 
It means deliberately putting on love and all the other qualities that entails. It means keeping the gospel central as the motivating factor for all these things. And showing our thankfulness to God for, for what Jesus has done for us in his death and resurrection. It means expressing our thanksgiving together in song and in the way we live in our day-to-day home and work. It means seeking to, to imitate Christ's character of love and working together in prayer and partnership to see the gospel go out in the world. Now, that is the shape of true spirituality. That is, a, that is what walking in Christ is all about. That is the new life, the new life in Christ, expressed in a new lifestyle, the character of Christ. It's something that's an ongoing thing. It's not going to happen overnight. It's something that we've got to keep on. That is the direction. That is the growth. That is where we're going. We have a new life. Let's keep on living the new lifestyle. Let's keep on practicing that. As you receive Christ the Lord, walk in Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your kindness to us in Jesus. Thank you for forgiving us our sins, for uniting us with him so that we do have that forgiveness, and for uniting us with him in his, in his resurrection and in his being seated with you in heaven, and so that we have this new life in him. We thank you that even though it is hidden now, one day we'll be seen when, when Jesus returns and we'll be with him in glory. Father, as people who have been given this new life, as people who have received your wonderful mercy, we pray that you will help us to be living the new lifestyle. Lord, you know that we all fail in so many ways. But Father, today we want to, we want to turn again from the old way of living having been reminded of the new life you've given us in Christ we want to live that life help us we pray by your spirit Father please help us to put to death the things that belong to the old life sometimes it's hard we know and you know Lord but Lord we pray that that you help us to practice that Help us to practice putting on the, the character of Christ. And we pray that as we do that, you will slowly change us, that that would be our character. Father, help us to be people who show love, who live at peace. Help us to be the people who, who truly honor you and show our thankfulness to you for all you've done for us in the songs that we sing and in the way that we live. Help us to remember you in our day-to-day lives and to seek to please you in what we do and how we do it. Thank you for giving us this path to walk on and thank you that we do not walk alone. Thank you for giving us your spirit That even as we make all these efforts to live this new life, we know that your spirit is working in us. And we thank you for giving us each other uh, to love, to teach and to exhort so that we can um, receive 
of what you have to say to us and we can sharpen each other and help each other walk along that path as well. We pray for these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.